going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA Podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak, alongside Stephen Trinkwald, as always. Stephen, we are almost finished with our 2022 team outlooks. Not exactly saving the best for last year, but we have the Atlanta Dream today. The Atlanta Dream. They were 8-24 in the 2021 regular season. That was good for 11th in the standings. 10th in net rating, however, negative 6.5, the second year in a row that they were uh, 10th in net rating. They were 9th in offense last year, 97.5 offensive rating. Eric, this was the seventh season in a row they were a bottom four offense. Yikes. Uh, and defensively, they were also ninth at 104 points allowed per 100 possessions. And I don't think this is quite the path that we expected coming into the season for the Atlanta Dream. Uh, certainly not, in my eyes, a title contender by any means, but also probably did not peg them for second worst team in the league. Uh, they they were expected to be a little bit more exciting, if nothing else. This was their first season with both Tiffany Hayes and Courtney Williams. They brought in Cheyenne Parker in free agency, you know, Kennedy Carter's sophomore season. And then slightly before the start, almost immediately, you could say, before the start of the regular season, things kind of uh, went haywire for the team. So part of what we did at SB Nation is do a preseason roundtable where me and a few other writers uh, got together and made some predictions. Uh, Most of my predictions were hilariously wrong, so please do not go back and look at them. But I think the one I got right was that the Atlanta Dream would be must-see TV. However, I did not think it would be like this. Dream weren't the worst team in the league, technically speaking, but I think you could say they were the biggest disaster, right? Yes, a disaster they were in many regards. Uh, We can start with the coaching mess, of course. Nikki Collin taking the Baylor job days before the start of the regular season. So Mike Peterson took over the interim role for the team's first 19 games. Uh, He went 6-13 before stepping down himself. Darius Taylor took over for the final 11 games and went 2-4-11. There was, of course, an off-the-court incident that we do not know the entire details of, but resulted in Kennedy Carter being suspended what was deemed indefinitely after 11 games and never ended up being allowed to return. Cheyenne Parker, their free agent player, missed the first six games with COVID, then sat out the second half of the season post-Olympic break due to uh, her pregnancy. Congratulations, Cheyenne. Yeah, congratulations. But only played 13 games overall for the Dream. And Tiffany Hayes also missed 11 games this year, so or past year. So um, not great. Not great. And of course, there's also the um, another off-court incident that was captured on video that uh, may have actually shaped their... In fact, I think we could definitely say now that it did shape their approach heading into this past free agency period. So yes, a season full of drama and a lot of ups and downs, mainly downs. Uh, So yeah, let's take a step back here. What were kind of the, um, the main weaknesses of this dream team? Like eight and 24, pretty darn bad. What was the worst of it? Yeah, well, I would say they had a hard time um, putting the ball in the basket, and they had a hard time stopping their opponents from putting the ball in the basket. Okay, that explains it. Uh, They were 11th in effective field goal percentage, uh, driven by a few different factors. They were 11th in three-point percentage. They shot 31% as a team from three, which is not great. But they were also 10th in two-point scoring, second in the league, In terms of their percentage of points coming from the mid-range per the WNBA stats page, I think unsurprisingly, I think that's defined as non-paint twos. 
given the personnel, given Courtney Williams' role in the offense, um, giving Monique Billings larger role in this team than previous Carter seasons. when she was playing as Carter, well. yeah, take, take some mid-rangers, uh, you know, can get to the rim, but definitely will settle for some outside the paint. They were 12th in free throw attempt rate. I think, again, not surprising when you consider who was available for large parts of this season. The good, they never turned it over. Uh, Courtney Williams, you know, not a high turnover player. She was pretty much their lead initiator for much of the year. Uh, and they were fourth in offensive rebounding. So that was kind of their offensive four factors. And that was largely mirrored on the defensive end as well. They allowed the highest effective field goal percentage in the league defensively. Opponents shot a league high 38.5% from three last season. Um, so, you know, their opponents were shooting the lights. I think a lot of times conventional wisdom is, you know, you can't really control three-point percentage. You but might call that a little bit of luck, right? Yeah, you, you might. But again, you know, they were they were so poor defensively that maybe you kind of can attribute the percentage a little bit more than than normally. They were also bottom four in allowing the highest two-point percentage defensively. So, you know, wherever opponents were, were trying to score from, they were doing a pretty good job. And they allowed the highest, uh, I'm sorry, the second highest opponent free throw attempt rate. So they couldn't get to the line. They put their opponents on the line. They couldn't hit threes. Their opponents hit a ton of threes. And I think, interestingly, despite being a pretty good offensive rebounding team, they were a terrible defensive rebounding team. They were 11th in defensive rebounding. The rebounders that they had on this team last year, you know, Monique Billings, I think comes to mind specifically a great, great offensive rebounder, but not really somebody that's going to help you on the defensive glass. That's very strange. How many other players are like that? You you think like okay she's a good rebounder. You'd think that would trans that would be on both ends of the glass, but not really so for the stream team. Yeah, unfortunately not so. And also the also the free throw rate thing. I need to say that's like the the opposite of the Las Vegas Aces model, right? Yeah, exactly. Where it's like we get to the line a lot and we don't allow and we don't foul a lot, and this is the exact opposite. I mean, if you if you are consistently getting outshot at the free throw line, like you're gonna be in trouble, especially when you're not you're already not um, probably winning the three point battle very often right yeah not maximizing the math game there i would say uh it is notable that even though this team was i would say average in terms of transition frequency they were third in points per possession led by largely a handful of players monique billings i think that was a nice development for her game she was in the 82nd percentile crystal bradford uh who of course is dealing with injury not currently on a roster we hope to see her back healthy soon in the 87th percentile Kennedy Carter, in the time she was there, ineffective, was very good, as well as uh, Tiffany Hayes, 73rd percentile for Hayes, which I think that could be a good lead-in to maybe talk about Hayes' season, Eric? Yeah, especially because Hayes is one of the few players the Dream actually retained um, this this season. So, you know, ever, ever since the Angel McCartney era kind of ended, I think Hayes was the player everyone was expecting the Dream to kind of pass the torch to. Very, very big shoes to fill, kind of an unrealistic expectation, in my opinion, but one of the better wings in the league for a long time now. And she, of course, sat out the bubble season. So this is our first time seeing her back since a pretty disastrous 2019 dream campaign. Not disastrous for her individually, but for the team. I thought Hayes was a bit perhaps overrated when she made all WNBA back in 2018. But I, I think she was kind of underrated this past season. She was very, very good, I thought. Uh, had a very balanced offensive season. The outside shot was falling in 2021, 40% from three on five attempts per 36 minutes. And I mean, anytime that 
shot is falling for Tiffany Hayes, like you're going to have a well-rounded offensive game because she is putting pressure on the rim in a way few other perimeter players do in the WNBA. That's a good way of putting it. Tiffany Hayes is one of those players where it's like, well, she always goes left to stop her from going left. It's not that easy with Tiffany Hayes. If it was that easy, someone would have stopped her from going left by now. She's just so explosive. She's so relentless attacking the rim. And, you know, how, you know defenses are going to load up to stop it, but they just can't. They, never they, been you able you to. just can't keep her in front of you. You know exactly what she wants to do, and she's still going to she get does it anyway. 40% yeah. of her field goal attempts at the rim. Nearly half of her half-court shot, half court shots came around the rim, uh, non-post-ups, of course. You know, she she's going to beat you to her spot at the rim. She's going to either finish over you or force help at the rim. And I don't want to say, like, she's unique as a guard, but this just isn't the kind of um, skill set and explosiveness that, that is very common among this position, I would say. No, I think that's very fair. And like you said, when she's hitting her three-point shot, that's maybe been a knock on her game previously. But when she's hitting that outside shot, it's there's not really much you can do to stop her from scoring the basketball. I think the one thing she kind of lacks as a scorer is a, is a good in-between game, but that's kind of lower on the priority list. Like if you have a wing, I would agree with that though. Yeah. Not, not going to do a ton in like the, the mid range for you. Right. Not going to do a ton in the mid range. Yeah. But she has pretty much everything else as a scorer. You know, she gets to the rim, like nobody's business. And when she's hitting that three pointer, I don't know, I wouldn't call her jump shot a very versatile one, but 40% 40% from three is 40% from three on that volume. So it's, it's it's hard to really argue with those results. Yep, and she was in the 90th percentile as a pick and roll scorer on 100 possessions. So pretty high volume and was able to really keep that efficiency up just under a point per possession and was in the 88th percentile as an isolation player as well. So again, like you know the things that she's going to want to do and you just, especially as a pick and roll ball handler for her to kind of get around a screen, get some momentum kind of attacking the big, you know, a few steps back, you know, you just can't let her get ahead of steam. I think she might be put in a little bit worse position this year defensively, you know, despite her straight line explosion with the ball in her hand. I do think she's probably a little bit better suited at this point in her career defending threes than then like shooting guards or kind of smaller quicker players uh do you think that's fair do you think she can kind of still handle that role that's a good question because i mean she's she has suffered some lower body a, a fair amount of lower body injuries uh recently in these in these past few years so that's that's a good question that's something to watch for um obviously she will be asked to play the two more often i, I think you know the, the, the two and the, the three can offensively be kind of interchangeable sometimes but like you're saying, if you're asking her to consistently guard smaller, faster players, she is pretty fast. But as you said, there's a difference between, you know, north-south movement and east-west movement, right? And we're kind of saying that she's more effective getting downhill than she is, you know, moving laterally, right? Yeah, I don't really picture her as, at least this point in her career, somebody that's just going to be like busting Ally Quigley or Kayla McBride around a bunch of ball screens. That's, that, like oh, that's that. a great point, yeah. You know, but she probably will play both positions plenty you know play the three more alongside Howard play the two guard lineups with Wheeler and McDonald um but she was able to kind of parlay her her great albeit a little bit injury plagued season 21 games last year just under 600 minutes into a very nice payday and you know I think maybe I was a little bit personally disappointed that Hayes chose to continue her career in Atlanta just because like you know the team doesn't really have that much of an immediate short-term future. And I kind of wanted to see, you know, Hayes and maybe Las Vegas or something like that, a team with a little bit more upside, but 
you know, good for her for getting that above the lower max deal for, you know, over 200K. Absolutely. We're always here just just in, in case this is your first time listening. Uh, first of all, welcome. Second of all, we are always, always, always here for players getting paid and doing what's best for them. So under no, no under no circumstances are we going to question what a player chooses to do in free agency. And, you know, going back to the one-year deal, next free agency period is going to be a big one. It's going to be very, very chaotic with the prioritization rule kicking in. You see a lot of other players also taking one-year deals when they probably could have gotten uh, much longer deals. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with Tiffany Hayes next offseason. That, that, that was a good point with the prioritization. I hadn't considered yeah. it from Hayes' standpoint, of, of course. Um, but yeah, obviously players are kind of giving themselves a little bit more flexibility heading into next offseason. Yeah, so we'll see what happens this uh, this next offseason. But back to 2022. Um, I think the other player we need, need to really talk about is Ari McDonald. Uh, lead guard, combo guard, whatever you want to call her, ball handler. They used the um, number three overall pick in the draft to draft her. And um didn't really, I'm not going to say she wasn't impressive, but it's almost like they didn't treat her as the investment that they, you know, made. It was very frustrating from, I think, a fan and observer perspective, seeing Ari McDonald's minute totals night after night. And, you know, it's not like she had this great rookie season. It was very below average in a lot of statistical categories, but, you know, she just wasn't really given the time to shine. Um, A lot of games below 15 below 10 minutes playing less minutes than guards that just didn't really have a meaningful future for this team like several meaningless games down the stretch where odyssey sims or blake dietrich two guards who are no longer with this team by the way never really had any future with the dream were playing more minutes uh than Ari mcdonald and that was extremely frustrating when you are trying to kind of evaluate you know, whether you're just somebody who likes the WNBA or dream fans, especially, I can imagine them, you know, sort of pulling their hair out. Like, why isn't this player playing over, you know, players who also were not good? Like, Odyssey Sims had a bad year last year. It's, you know, it's a situation for me because, first of all, we think, we, we figured right when Sims signed from Atlanta, like, okay, she's she's a, she's a rental. She's a one-season rental. Blake Dietrich, as you alluded to, probably wasn't going to have a big future for the dream. But, like, maybe if the dream were a competitive team, like trying to win now, like, yeah, okay, you know, play your vets, try and uh, fill your boots, see how far you get in the playoffs or whatever. But no, they were bad. So this is the perfect situation for a young player to, I don't want to say get thrown into the fire, but like you said, be evaluated. Because, you know, this isn't a rebuilding project like this. It, it's not just what you do in the offseason. You're constantly evaluating, like, okay, what what does this player excel at right away? What does she need to work on? And then in the offseason, how can we best maximize the player's talents, like who, who could we bring in to best complement this player? And we just didn't really see consistent minutes from Ari McDonald, even after it was abundantly clear that this team wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, and I think this is kind of the case. This can happen sometimes with interim coaches. Like they are just trying to win as many games as they can, any way that they can, uh, and well. sort of put, <laughs> put together their own tape, right? You know, impress for future jobs in their own right, rather than kind of thinking about the long-term vision of the franchise. And that resulted in, you know, a lot of minutes for Odyssey Sims and Blake Dietrich and still a lot of losses. So, um, you know, was it was it worth it, I guess. But in terms of like the tape that McDonald actually put together, what, what do you think in terms of her rookie season, even though it was kind of a weak season statistically, I would say? I mean, none of what she struggled at really surprised me, especially when you think about like a a small-ish, like she's small. I mean, there's no two ways about it. A small-ish guard whose greatest offensive strength, at least, is driving to the rim and finishing. She struggled 
getting to the rim and finishing. Like, I'm not going to say she struggled getting to the rim because she's very, very quick off the dribble. But she did struggle, you know, putting together that complete move and finish, which a lot of rookie point guards do struggle with. Also, the decision-making, obviously, that's going to be inconsistent. Um, The three-point shot, I think, was a little better than I expected, actually, at least in her aggressiveness taking it. You know, she was not shy about pulling the trigger. Defensively, I think she's a little bit ahead of schedule compared to most other players in her position. But yeah, I mean, she's got a lot to work on, at least in terms of an attacking point guard. Yeah, I thought to build off your your points there that we saw some impressive kind of data points for her just being absolutely able to blow by closeouts, like really attack hard with quick straight line drives. I don't think she necessarily has like a ton of shake off the dribble. I'm, I think you would probably agree with that. Like she's not going to break you down with her handle or anything like that. At least I don't think so, but was not really able to kind of capitalize on a lot of those only 34% shooting from two, which is extremely poor, quite frankly. But you know, the seven and a half threes per 36 minutes, like you're saying, that was pretty good sample size for her to get up over a hundred threes her rookie season. I think we can have some confidence that those will go in a little bit better as, as time goes on, you know, 30%. I can see her getting to like, you know, 35, 36%. Certainly, I think there's a lot more upside for that than probably like her two-point scoring or her initiating as a ball handler. Would would you agree with that? To an extent. You know, I, I think the, the mid-range jumper is something that's just going to kind of wax and wane for a lot of these players. I'm going to once again go back to the, the whole idea of small sample size, you know, the course of a WNBA season. It can be small. So there can be some seasons where players are like, oh, she, ha- she, she improved her shot a lot. Well, did she really or did she just have a good shooting season but I think McDonald one of the things that maybe drives her two-point shooting down is she likes to pull up from long twos off the pick and roll at least she did she did a lot in college and that's just not an efficient shot for most players so in regards to just pure two-point shooting I think you would have to kind of narrow it down into like shooting zones like is she getting better finishing at the rim versus just two-point range in general well do you think she can turn herself into a player that shoots threes off the dribble in the pick and roll Hmm. I feel like we saw a bit of that already, didn't you? I don't think it's going to be an effective shot. Well, she did She did take some off the dribble. Um, you know, I don't think she was necessarily too effective at it from a percentage-wise, but to see her already kind of willing to take those off the bounces, I think, encouraging. And if, you know, she can turn that into just a little bit of a, an element of her game, because, you know, I, I just think that the two-point scoring is going to be a challenge, you know, she's a five, four point guard, right? And I don't think she has a lot of shake. I I don't necessarily think she's a value added passer. So if she can add, you know, even if it's not versatility to her shot, the way that it, you know, Quigley or McBride or someone that's really running around screens and, and doing that type of things, you know, if she can shoot reliably or or somewhat reliably, you know, maybe mid thirties off the bounce and turn that pick and roll shooting into a real weapon, then, you know, maybe we have a starting level player here. According to Synergy, over 80% of, of her half-court shot attempts were on jump shots. That's way too high for a player of her skill set. And she shot decently at the rim, especially, again, for a player of her size. She was a third of her twos came from the restricted area, which I think is, you know, it's not an amazing number. But again, when you're talking about a 5'4 rookie, I think that's all right. And she shot, you know, 54%, which again is... Is pretty good. She has good explosiveness, I think. Like you know, pretty good athleticism, definitely, kind of definitely. taking off um, in her in her attempts around the rim. So, yeah, we just maybe cleaning up that shot diet a little bit. Is that kind of what what we're going at here? Definitely, definitely. 
So, I mean, how do you think this player profiles? We talked about her a little bit um, when we did our kind of 25 under 25 a few months ago. But to me, I'm still kind of thinking more of like a third guard. And I do think the big question about her kind of high level viability besides the shot, of course, is is she going to be a one positional def- a one position defender or a two position defender because if she can if she can hang physically with twos or if she can you know chase and contest some of the more you know screen reliant two guards off ball two guards then we're really kind of talking about you know a 20 25 28 minute per game player if she's just kind of a straight backup point guard, then, you know, we're probably looking at less than that and a player that you kind of have a hard time fitting around because of the limitations that she has as an offensive player. You know, first of all, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm higher on McDonald than you are because I do believe that she can be a two-position defender. Uh, the height is an issue when she's theoretically defending those those two guards because, like, even if, even if it's like, you know, I, I think she's got at least some of the physical tools that maybe like a Brienne January type of player does and that she is extremely physical. She doesn't mind, you know, getting down and dirty on defense and she just has that, that grit. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when I watch Ari McDonald, I watch a player who takes pride in her defense and as a primary ball handler, like there aren't many players who um, take like zero possessions off on either end of the court, like Ari McDonald does. But of course, so I think the physicality can be there and I think it will be there. And of course, the athleticism is there. It's just a matter of not being tall enough. I mean, there. Well, well, what do you think about her as a passer on the move, kind of off the bounce? Yeah, that's that, that's a good point. I, regarding value-added passing, I think her best chance at being a value-added passer is in more of a like a drive and kick kind of role. But that that begs a question: like, when she when she breaks down a defense, is she looking to pass or is she looking to finish? Most of the time, from what we've seen so far, she's looking to finish. Of course, better floor spacing could help this a lot. And I think last year when you look at like this, the, the dream, if you want to call it the dream culture, there wasn't a heck of a lot of culture. Um, not so an it, ecosystem to succeed, I would say. I like that. Very diplomatically put. Not an ecosystem successful for five foot four dribble penetration combo guards. I think she's got the tools for it. But, you know, like when you think like, she's a combo guard, you know, she's not she's not a pure point. I think the, the, the vision just isn't that high compared to you know like the league's best passers so if if it's value-added passing i'll go back to this if it's value-added passing i think it's going to come in the form of getting to the rim and kicking it out to the corner and that's it's a valuable skill but i don't think you're going to get much better than that we'll see you know we've we've obviously seen small guards be successful before um very true and ones that are frankly worse than Ari mcdonald is defensively uh you know leilani mitchell obviously had a in my opinion, more shake off the bounce, I would say. You know, she has kind of more of a, you know, a point guard's feel for the game and, and point guard skill set where McDonald, I think, you know, I just don't, I I don't see her kind of, you know, gnashing under the hoop and kind of waiting for the second look when the first option wasn't there, stuff like that. Well, that that's a good point that you bring up. And I, and I think let's, let's just elaborate on this real quick. When you talk about shake off the dribble, you don't have to be the fastest player to be the most effective one off the dribble. In fact, I think it's actually to a detriment if, if a player off the dribble is looking to attack like 90% of the time and is not looking to pass when they get to the rim. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, the ability to just kind of shift gears and change speeds. Um, right, right. And, you know, sort of lull the defense to, to sleep when you're kind of in third gear and then kicking it up to, to actually explode at the rim or slow yourself back down when you're getting close to the rim and you realize 
you don't kind of have the look you were looking for and, you know, take it back to the other side of the hoop and, you know, look for one of the shooters on the opposite side above the break or something like that. So we'll see if McDonald can get there. I'm not foreclosing on it by any means, but I think it's an uphill battle to me for her to become like an average or above starting point guard. Okay, fair enough. All right. Like I said before, there's not really much else to talk about from last season because the dream kind of had like a fire sale. Well, I wouldn't say fire sale because a lot of these players were just let go. But um, two of the players that were let go in free agency were Courtney Williams and Crystal Bradford. What I wanted to ask you real quick is, you know, like I said, they're the off-court incident. We'll just leave it at that. The dream flat out said, we're not bringing these players back in free agency. You don't see that very often. So if that incident, like if, if that just like didn't happen or whatever, and or the dream made a decision and say, okay, you know, this, this did happen, but we are choosing to uh, give these players another chance or whatever, and 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 they choose and they did choose to bring them back, right? What would we be talking about differently heading into twenty twenty two, if anything? I guess I I don't really think that that particular off court incident with Courtney Williams and Crystal Bradford, not the one with Kennedy Carter. We should be clear. Um, there's quite a few off-court incidents we could quite discuss few, yes. with, with this team. But the one with Courtney Williams and Crystal Bradford, honestly, I, I don't think it really changed the trajectory of this team all that much. Like, we're still talking about a team that has been in the lottery three straight seasons. You know, Courtney Williams led the league in minutes last season, and they were still not really close to being a relevant offense, largely in some ways because of Courtney Williams. Like, the numbers we outlined previously about their effective field goal percentage and living outside of the paint like that is all Courtney Williams game that's what she wants to do and it, and it was not driving effective offense by any means so you know that stuff not even withstanding there was still to me in my opinion of course no chance that this team brought back both 28 year old Courtney Williams and 31 year old Tiffany Hayes to that's a, good point. a lottery team you know three years running here so in my opinion uh, again this is speculation I have no inside information obviously if anything, I think it just made the decision easier of which one of those two players to offer this kind of one-year heavy salary deal as sort of like a, a bridging the gap to the next era type. Let's keep the veterans around so you know we're not a complete dumpster fire type of team. The thing to me that really changed the trajectory of this team was moving on from Kennedy Carter. Carter, I think, was the one blue chip, you know, could be an engine of a good offense, could be the best player on a team hosting a playoff series type of player. It's so difficult to find Kennedy Carter types that I think that is kind of what more sort of shifted the gears of what this team is kind of doing in their rebuild than, you know, the Courtney Williams side of it. Okay. And that is a great point, by the way, about kind of the Courtney Williams versus Tiffany Hayes that, yeah, in, in, in a respect, maybe it did make their decision a little bit easier. And maybe that factored into Hayes getting the deal that she did get. But, um, I mean, would you disagree with any of that? Do you think like this no. team wanted to run it back with Courtney Williams and Tiffany Hayes and Cheyenne Parker again? Ooh, if they did, I don't think that would have been the right call. But no, that I, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. Um, okay, let's get on to 2022. Yeah, so so they blew it up. They obviously, uh, you know, traded Kennedy Carter. They allowed Courtney Williams and Crystal Bradford to leave in free agency. Uh, Tiana Hawkins also left in free agency. Elizabeth Williams signed with the mystics uh and then they have a bunch of players that played on this team last year that are looking like they're going to be out of the league this year shakina strickland yeah. candace dupree blake dietrich odyssey sims players no longer with the team in the kennedy carter trade they brought in erica wheeler 
They signed Nia Coffey in free agency. They traded a late pick, I believe it was a third rounder for Kia Vaughn. Uh, they claimed Megan Walker off waivers, and then they made quite a few draft selections as well. They, The headliner, right? This is where we got to start. They traded the number three pick in the draft, as well as swap rights for the Dallas first round pick that they had that Atlanta has in next year's draft. They gave that up to Washington in exchange for the number one pick so they can draft Ryan Howard. What did you think about the trade to move up to number one? Well, it's not without its risks, right? That pick swap um, could end could end up backfiring on them. But I think I would have done it because if you look at where the Dream are right now as a franchise, they need some kind of direction. Like you could say, yeah, I mean, looking at their arrivals, I mean, you mentioned Wheeler, Coffee, Vaughn, Walker. None of those are, like a lot of those are just placeholder players, right? Even even Wheeler and Coffee, who got, you know, maybe some, some big contracts. Um, they need a franchise player again, especially when you don't know what's going to happen with Tiffany Hayes, after, who's getting a little older now. You don't know what's going to happen with her in this offseason. So I think you need something to build around. And even if you don't believe that Howard is going to be an all WNBA perennial MVP caliber player. I still think you need to make this move. You need some kind of building block because otherwise you're going to be a team with, you know, no clear number one option, no clear star and no real direction. You know what I mean? So I I hate to say, you know, like culture or anything, but I I think that is a a big part of this. You know, you you needed, you need a, a face of the franchise. You need a new face of the franchise. And Howard is a pretty darn good player. You know, I think there maybe are some questions about, you know, can she tra- can she become a true bona fide superstar in the WNBA? But from looking at it from Atlanta's perspective, given their situation, I think it was a good trade for the Dream. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about just the decision to make the trade, and then we can get into maybe like Howard's actual game and, and what sure. she'll kind of bring to this team. But, you know, I think there's at least a possibility that Shakira Austin who ended up going three, is a better player than Ryan Howard. I would say that it's unlikely. I think Ryan Howard will will be a better player. But, you know, if a very good coach and talent evaluator kind of circles that player at three over the player at number one, you know, that is, you know, something to consider for sure. I think giving up the swap rights to Dallas's pick next year, like you said, that could backfire. But Atlanta will still have their own pick next year, which will probably be a lottery pick. And they still will have two first round picks next year. You know, they didn't straight give up a pick. It was a swap, right? So unless Washington is really, really elite, they'll probably still have two good picks. You know, maybe it's a middle first instead of two lottery picks. But, you know, it it could. I understand why people are like, you know, this is a really kind of juicy thing to sort of give up in this trade from Atlanta. But I still think that this is a trade that I agree with you. I, I think you know, one that makes both sides, you know, perhaps a win-win trade, but one for Atlanta that I think it makes sense because I don't think Howard is necessarily the elite cream of the crop in terms of like number one picks, right? You know, I think she's more kind of in like the Kelsey Plum, like very, very good starter, maybe probably not the best player on a championship team, I would say for Ryan Howard, but she's a player that's going to fit in next to just about any other player that you bring in. You know what I mean? She she doesn't take anything off the table. I think this team is probably still lacking their future best player on the next really good dream team. And whoever that ends up being, unlike Shakira Austin, because I, I don't think the chances are probably exceedingly unlikely that this team gets the number one pick and gets Aaliyah Boston. But you didn't want to have Aaliyah Boston and Shakira Austin as your two building blocks, two players, yeah, that's a good point. two players that play the same exact position, you know, 
as centers that don't really, you know, I know Boston shoots it a little bit and Shakira Austin shoots it a little bit, but that that's not really the direction that you want to no, go. A great point. And then you kind of have to trade Shakira Austin a year later for, you know, probably less than she's worth because you're kind of in a bind. So, and you know, no matter who you get with your lottery pick next year, Ryan Howard is going to fit spectacularly along that player because she can guard multiple positions and she can space the floor. She can do a little bit with the basketball in her hands, like at very least, even if she's not, you know, an all time type of creator for a number one pick or something like that. But I mean, it just makes kind of team building from here on out so much easier, I think for you. Looking forward in the future, that's which when you're rebuilding, you got to do that. So yeah, yeah, very good, uh, very good stuff. They're kind of analyzing that trade from not just the immediate, uh, not not just in the immediate draft, but uh, you know, several years down the line here. That's that's pretty good. So, um, w- would you mind telling us a little bit about Howard's game and kind of where you see her ceiling being, uh, or or maybe even ceiling or kind of most likely outcome as a player? Okay, I think most likely outcome is an all star. I do think she's a fringe all WNBA talent. To be honest with you, like ceiling all WNBA, really. Like I said before, I but think but maybe like you know. A second team all WNBA or two, probably, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's fair. Um I think I think maybe Howard has kind of been overanalyzed a bit. Um that, that her in her senior season at Kentucky. You know, there are a lot of questions about uh, does she have a, a the consistent motor? Is she a good enough leader? And that was kind of over explained to the point where people were not mentioning anymore that she was just a really, really, really good basketball player. She's six foot two on the wing, which is awesome in itself. She does so much with the basketball in her hands. You know, you mentioned, obviously, the scoring numbers are what pop out immediately, right? Good for 20 points a game in college on basically every night. Very, very polished pull-up jump shot. You know, that's, that's typically not a shot that we like watching players take. But she's a player, if you put her in the pick and roll, she's going to make a good play much, much more often than not. And I think that's kind of a part of her game that's maybe a little understated is her ability to pass out of the pick and roll. She is very much a value-added passer for her position. Maybe not overall, but for her position. I mean, there I don't, I don't think there are going to be many wings right away who are going to be as good as or if not better than Ryan Howard is at creating shots out of the pick and roll for other people. As far as her scoring goes, I think she's more of a shifty scorer than an explosive scorer, if that makes sense. Like, she's she can get to the rim, but she very often, like I said, chooses to either, you know, finesse finishes or... Just that pull-up jump shot, which I think her shot diet's going to need to change a little bit if she's going to be an effective, an efficient scorer in the WNBA. But I mean, that that spot-up jump shot looks really, really good from three-point range. You have a very, very healthy sample size of her shooting like 37, 38% from three every season at Kentucky. So that's pretty good. Her, her numbers are like staggeringly consistent year over year in college. Very, very consistent. As consistently, like her role has been since day one, like the alpha dog on that Kentucky offense. So like I think like, like again I I just think the the discourse has has gone too far in the opposite direction for Howard. I think she is a really really good basketball player and there are a lot of reasons to really love her as a WNBA prospect. There are not a lot of again, there are not a lot of wings her size to just totally disregarding skill level. And when you combine her physical gifts with her very impressive skills with the basketball, I think you're going to have a heck of a basketball player and she's going to be able to defend just about anywhere as you said. Like she is a very, very good help defender. I think, you know, on the ball, she's going to have the, the typical rookie learning curve defensively, but she has, again, the physical tools to really, really excel on defense. So if all pans out and they get a really good two-way wing, like you're not going to be looking back on this deal and saying, oh, they shouldn't have made that pick swap. 
And I think she's going to be great in the passing lanes. You know, she has great timing yes. and anticipation, forcing turnovers. You know, I think she has elite on-ball defense upside, but I think, you know, unless she just decides that she's just not going to defend at this level, like, if she's bought in, she's going to be a really great help defender, I think, to your point. I mean, there I lost count of how many times you just saw Ryan Howard come out of nowhere and, and, and make a play on, on a block shot. And you don't see that very often for that position. So, again... Maybe I'm speaking too much about, you know, value relative to individual matchups, but I think you got to take that into consideration here because you just don't see many players like Ryan Howard come along too often. So, yes, I think that that, that trade was a very easy call, and I think Howard's a, a future star in the WNBA. How about their early second-round pick, Nas Hillman? How do you like her chances sticking in the league? Well, I think she was drafted into a really, really good scenario, first of all, because Atlanta didn't really have, like heading into the draft, who were their, who were their bigs? Monique Billings, Cheyenne Parker, Kia Vaughn on an unprotected contract? It's like, that, maybe, that's a good Maybe situation. Coffee sliding into some four minutes. Maybe Coffee playing some four, yeah. But, you know, the book on Hillman is she made absolute hay in the Big Ten just because she was bigger and stronger than everyone else. Not taller, though. She's about six foot two. Her and Howard are like the same height, which is it's kind of weird but vastly, vastly different positions in games. There were some very legitimate questions about her, about Hillman, heading into the draft. Like, she's six foot two, she's small for a center, and she's not a defensive playmaker, which is not a very good combination. Also, her offensive game is paint-bound. So if you have a player who, in, let's face it, not a very good defensive conference in the Big Ten, for, for the most part, who's just thriving on pure physicality alone, that's going to be a very steep learning curve when she gets to the WNBA, and she's going up against Sylvia Fowles or Liz Cambage or heck, even, you know, like the players like Alyssa Thomas, for instance, who are the same size, but just more skilled with the basketball. I mean, she has some definite upside to her game. I mean, she's obviously extremely efficient around the rim. She can finish with both hands. Um, I think she's a little more athletic than she's given credit for. I mean, she should be because she's six foot two, not six foot seven, but she can move her feet pretty well. And I think she's got a pretty high basketball IQ. Like she's, she's a very willing passer. The question is, that was obviously outstanding at Michigan when she was drawing two or three defenders every time and she could easily find the open player. But when the game is faster at the pro level and there aren't obvious opportunities to create a shot for others out of the out of the like post-ups, then you're going to see like what kind of passing chops Nas Hillman really has. But you know, I think for her, she's going to need to do two things. And one is make some kind of contribution on defense because at this point, I just don't know who she's going to guard. Like... Size-wise, it's probably threes and fours, but can she move her feet well enough to keep up with threes? Can she hang physically with fours? That's I don't think she's going to guard centers because she's just not big enough. But also, like if she's guarding fours, who is the player that she's playing alongside? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Maybe Cheyenne Parker. I, but of course, that brings its own challenges, and that Parker's not big enough to guard centers either in most most cases. So, and the other thing is, like she just needs some kind of perimeter game. At Michigan, she took vast majority of her shots at the rim or in the paint or, or very, very close to the rim. So like people can say, oh, all she needs is to develop a jump shot. Like It's not that easy for someone who's like never took jump shots in college. There is, you know, some preseason hype. Oh yeah, Nas Hellman took a three-pointer in preseason, but it's like, or, or in, in non-conference play. And then of course you never saw it again. So uh, like I want it to work out. Nas is a, obviously a very decorated uh, player and one who's very easy to root for. And I think she is in a pretty good situation. But then you look toward then you look towards next year when the Dream are obviously going to want to upgrade the front court. Say they get a Leah Boston in the draft, 
Well, what does that mean for not summon in the front court? I don't know. I want it to work out, but there are, like I said, a lot of questions that could and should be asked about not summon's game. Hmm. A massively efficient, undersized paint bound center from the Big Ten should should work out fine, probably. I mean, Brianna Jones is Brianna Jones undersized. She's got pretty yeah, good I mean, size. Maybe not as much though. Like, like that's that's the first player. Like, this might be kind of a lazy comparison because they both played in the Big Ten. That's kind of uh, the first player I think of. But oh, I mean, Jones mine has... was Megan Gustafson. Like oh, Gustafson. What is well, separating yeah. these two as prospects? You know, Gustafson was a lot more efficient than Hillman. Hillman is probably a little bit more athletic, but they're two yeah. undersized centers who you know they have centers games and and they probably just don't have the size and. You know, and defensive chops think, to hang. I think even Gustafson is more skilled with the basketball than Hillman currently is because, I mean, she's got... Okay, so first of all, Hillman's got good footwork in the post, but she's not going to make a move typically that's not just something over the shoulder. Whereas Gustafson, she can at least step out and hit that mid-range shot. Um, and she's pretty talented in the pick-and-roll as well. I think that that's another thing, pick-and-roll. Like, Hillman needs to get needs to be good in the pick-and-roll. Um, use that quickness to her advantage over her, her individual matchups. But yeah, that, that's, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of that comparison. So the rest of their roster here, pretty veteran-laden, honestly. They have Erica Wheeler, who we mentioned, Tiffany Hayes, then Coffey or Billings, I would say, at the four. You think Coffey on this team is going to play more small forward or power forward? I mean, I think she's better suited at the four, but on this team, it's probably more of a three, right? I mean, I think Coffey at the four and Parker at the five is probably the one lineup that this team can run out that it's actually going to be able to score the ball somewhat efficiently. It is small, but like, what is your, what is your goal for this franchise? Is your goal to win the rebounding battle or is your goal to develop Ryan Howard as a pick and roll player? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, yeah, you're not gonna be winning the rebounding battle unless you play like Hillman and Billings or something like that. And that's just going to be a disaster on offense. So you're right. So I think just kind of spacing things out as, as much as you can in the minutes that Howard is out there with the other two good players. I mean, not that Erica Wheeler and Tiffany Hayes are some amazing floor spacing backcourt, honestly, but you know, that that's the best this team has. I think Billings and, and Hillman kind of at your backup big spots, Ari McDonald as your backup point guard, you know, McDonald and Wheeler, like I was saying, probably are going to play a decent amount together just because you know, you kind of want to see like uh, what what McDonald can do guarding different positions here, and then this that's pretty much you know they have Kiavon as well who doesn't really make a whole lot of sense with the rest of this team to be honest with you, and then Maya Caldwell and Christy Wallace. You know, I, I wish this team kind of did take one more upside flyer at the back end of this roster instead of Kiavon. You know, there's a, a long list of players who have been released recently or um, will probably be released. That could that in my there's opinion, still time. yeah, there there's still time, you know, maybe, but they did they made it pick for Vaughn. I think that was before some of the other things kind of shook out. But like this team has veterans, like all of their starting lineup is pretty much all, you know, Coffee is in her on her sixth team. You know, Cheyenne Parker is in the second year of her second contract. Wheeler and Hayes are in their thirties. Like, I I don't think veteran leadership is necessarily what this team needs. Although it it might have been more of a concern when they made that trade early yeah. in the offseason. I, I still say they made that to kind of help diffuse the locker room situation, but because Kiavon, that's that is one thing, you know, she's stuck around for a reason. And by all accounts, she's a great a great locker room presence. But you're right, like from this from what this team needs right now, who cares about that? Yeah, I just think, you know, this team should be taking as as many bites at the apple as they can for players that have a chance to be part of like the next good 
dream team, which is probably still a few years away. Any names that you think would fit in well with kind of like the back end of this roster, maybe instead of Christy Wallace or instead of Kia Vaughn or something like that? Well, uh, we're at that point in the uh, in, in the preseason when the cuts are coming fast and furious. There are a few moves made today that I think were kind of interesting. Uh, Las Vegas cut both of their, they, they cut two of their first three picks in Caleb Pointer and Maya Hollingshed. I think you got to look at both of those players, honestly. I'm not sure Hollingshed, I'm a big Hollingshed fan, but I'm not sure how much he would help the roster. She's a stretch four, which you could always use. And Pointer is, they probably don't need another point guard, right? I mean, yeah, Hollingshed, you know, they, this team needs a lot of things before they need just kind of like an offense-focused stretch four. But, you know, the other option is, again, like Monique Billings or Kia Vaughn or something like, yeah, she might not maximize their talent now, but, you know, I don't, I just don't think you should be thinking about right now. Like, you th- should, if you think Hollingshed or, you know, maybe it's Lauren Cox or, you know, if somehow Crystal Dangerfield gets caught, like, there are a lot of kind of higher upside options here that I think at least have a chance of sticking with this team for the long term. You have uh, Arella Garantes. I don't think she's going to make the sparks. I mean, she could, but if she doesn't, maybe the dream could look at her. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, if either Garantes or Taya Cooper gets cut, you know, Garantes is probably a little bit more exciting. What about a flyer on Chelsea Dungy? Do you think there's kind of anything worth exploring there? Honestly, no. I'm going to be blunt with this. I think what happened overseas in which she was basically released from two different teams in two different countries very very quickly like i don't think that i don't want to make any judgment without knowing but i don't think that's good and then combining that with dallas like and and we've seen some of those games and it's not like you know it's just kind of like a mystery box like yeah no she was not good and that's overseas so if a player is not hacking it overseas i don't see what it would do for them yeah i agree with you i think probably you know of the players that have actually been released already maybe Hollingshed or Kyla Charles are the two that jump out to me or even Lauren Cox you know if you if you feel like you need to fill Kia Vaughn's position directly Lauren Cox is probably the best like straight sure you know center option out there uh the storm cut Elisa Kunain today I I'm not a fan I'd rather have Cox to be honest with you you'd rather have Lauren Cox okay yeah I think I think Cox can do a little bit more at the basketball and she's I mean she's a lot more physical um Size-wise, about the same, but... I think she yeah. has more of a chance to be a successful defensive player. Okay, I agree with that. That's... Let's get into strengths and weaknesses. I think this might be a pretty quick segment. At their best, I think this team will be able to put pressure on the rim from the perimeter. Tiffany Hayes, as we mentioned, one of the best in the league. Uh, Ryan Howard with pro spacing. I think we've been waiting to see how much her mid-range game with a less talented Kentucky roster turns into rim attempts, you know, Ari McDonald attacking a hard closeout. Erica Wheeler, I think, had one of her best finishing seasons last year. I think they might be all right in the pick and roll scoring. You know, Parker is a pretty decent pick and roll big. They've got some perimeter players that can do some things in the pick and roll. You know, we outlined Tiffany Hayes' outstanding pick and roll season last year. We'll see how much Howard can bring in her rookie season. I think they might be all right on the offensive glass. Parker, again, has been effective offensive rebounding in her career billings is perpetually one of the top 10 offensive rebounding players anything else for strengths it's just so weird how you have several players who are better at offensive rebounding than they are defensive rebounding that's that's very very strange but no not really uh, yeah I'm, I'm sure there's something we're missing here you know maybe they can get out in the break um i don't know it's hard to get out in the break if you don't get stops uh weaknesses transition defense i think this team is 
has a couple particularly poor transition defenders, you know, Cheyenne Parker in particular, as much as we like her offensive game, you know, I think she's one of the most kind of damaging transition bigs in the league, at least when her last season in Chicago and when she was with Atlanta last year, uh, a major, major weakness. I think the defensive glass, uh, despite the offensive rebounding being good, I think that'll be a, re- a weakness pick and roll defense. I don't think there's one big on here on this roster, not that there's many at all, unless you're talking about Monique Billings, you know, trapping or Nia Coffey maybe switching, but not anyone that's really going to kind of protect the rim from the pick and roll. You know, Stephen, if I may interject here, I think one of the few positive developments of last season was finding Monique Billings' effectiveness at the five and small lineups. I'm not sure how much they'll go. I think they kind of went to that out of necessity last season, but I think she did show that she could at least move her feet on defense. You know what? And that would actually, I, I kind of have a strength to add here. This team can throw out some really athletic lineups. Yes, yes. Athleticism all around. Definitely agreed. And it was nice to kind of see Monique Billings find a role defensively that kind of really suited her game. I, I thought, you know, in more traditional defensive settings, it's been a little bit more of a struggle. And when she's able to turn up the aggressiveness and kind of attack on the perimeter, it was much more fitting for what she's able to do well. Now, Stephen, when you say pick and roll defense, you don't need to be a good defensive playmaker to defend the pick and roll well. I don't think they have a lot of defensive playmaking in the front court either, at least in terms of like shot blocking, like pure shot blocking. So when you say bad pick and roll defense from their front court, what do you mean by that? Well, it's not just from their front court. I think it's from their back court as well. Uh, okay, I don't, fair. I don't think Erica Wheeler is particularly a good defensive pick and roll player. You know, Parker is just a player to me that if you get ahead of steam, you can finish over her as, you know, if you're one of the better kind of pick and roll guards in the league, I don't think is particularly good in either her technique or her, you know, physical gifts to be able to, you know, make plays at the rim uh, or even just defend with verticality. Would you? Do you think? I mean, you watched her for a yes, long time. Do you yes, think that's unfair? That's, that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. Okay, but Coffee, I do think is, you know, Coffee and Billings. If, if they decide to go small, like that, could be something that really turns teams over a ton. Coffee. Well, yeah, Coffee can make plays. Yeah, very, I, I, yeah. Very similar to the uh, the Bradford and Billings front court lineups uh, of last year that you know forced like a twenty five percent turnover rate or something wild yeah, when they were on the court together. Um, but that's, you know, one lineup they can throw out essentially. So I don't think this team is going to be good defending post-ups. You know, pretty much everyone they have as a big is going to be undersized, right? Coffee is going to be undersized if she's playing the four. Billings is undersized. Nas is going to be undersized. Parker, not vastly undersized, but not ha- but has not been a traditionally great post defender. Is this, is, are they going to be forced to play Kia Vaughn? They're not forced to do anything, Eric. They're not they, forced. they can do whatever exactly they want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and by the way, with all these kind of undersized bigs they have, aside from coffee, none of them even really give you the benefit of floor spacing, which leads me to my next weakness. Three-point shooting can very easily see that being a weakness for this team, even with Howard. Again, maybe they have the one lineup, you know, whether it's Wheeler or McDonald, and then Hayes, Howard, Coffee at the 2-3-4, the and, it, you know, if Parker's shooting carries over, which, again, it's still been very, very small sample size for her career. I think that can just kind of wax and wane at any point. Do you think passing will be a weakness for this team? Yeah, because who's a, who's a, who's an above average passer for their position? Howard. Yeah, I, I don't think they have too many. I don't think there's great it. individual passers, and I don't think there's, you know, we talked about Washington, how there's maybe not too many amazing passers, but they still have good collective passing. I there's don't no think collective passing. Yeah, either. I don't think that's the case here either. And then shot profile. Like, I think this team has a, a lot of players who are going to take a, a ton of 
non-paint twos. Wheeler, Billings, Howard, perhaps. Um, McDonald, probably. McDonald, probably. So even uh, Sands, their non-paint twos leader last year, and and Courtney Williams, I think it's going to be probably a lot of the same as this team kind of uh, struggles to generate, you know, high value looks, I would say. That's very true. One thing I think we should at least mention, they have yet another new head coach and Tanisha Wright. It's going to be your first year as a, uh, as a head coach in Atlanta. Um, She's got some work to do. (laughs) What do you see as like the absolute upside for this team? Is there any way this team like shocks the world and makes it into the playoffs? I mean, I'm not going to rule anything out, but if they do, I think it's just like backing in to the playoffs if they do i mean well who's their competition who's the competition at the bottom of like the playoff picture new york dallas maybe washington maybe la if things go poorly for them maybe phoenix maybe yeah like that's a lot it's a lot easier to see them missing the playoffs than than leapfrogging all those teams you know yeah but the other consideration is these veteran players you know, one thing about bringing in a bunch of players on one-year deals is they're all on a contract season. You know, that's very true. They're yes, you kind get that of extra fighting incentive. For, yeah, fighting for their next deal. So, I mean, it, it's not out of the possibility. And you know, maybe Tanisha Wright is just a great, great head coach and really gets kind of the. I mean, if you consider a world where you get the most out of all of these players that they have, that's probably a playoff team. Sure, sure. And like, like, can can I see them finishing better than New York? Yeah. Can I see them finishing better than Dallas? Yeah. I see them finishing better than Indy. Yeah, of course. So yeah, it's possible. Yeah, if she gets the absolute best out of every single player on this roster. Finishing better than Washington without a healthy Elena Deladon. Yes, sure. which is very possible. So yeah, I mean, we're not totally signing their, their death certificate before the season even starts, you know? Uh, That'll come for possible. the Indiana episode. Yes, yes. That will be a fun one. <laughs> um, do, do you think this, this team has the chance of being like the dream that we were supposed to see last season in terms of, yeah, they'll be bad, but they'll be fun. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think this team will be a better offense or a better defense? Oof. I'm going to say... That's a tough question. Because, like, defensively, I don't think they're going to be... Defensively, I think they'll at least be able to create some advantages. And that they... If they have an aggressive defensive scheme, they'll at least be able to, you know, create a lot of turnovers. But then it goes back to the question of, can they get enough rebounds? I, I think that would be the funnest version of this team if they just came out blitzing everything, forcing a ton of turnovers, taking advantage of Hayes and Howard's ability. So like to, how they started last season. Exactly. You know, when they were kind of forced into that uh, without uh-huh. Cheyenne Parker. You know, and sometimes when you're kind of a less talented team, like you kind of have to rely, not that I think like a, being an aggressive defense is a gimmick, but you, you kind of have to do things a little bit differently than the rest of the teams. And they were... You need to take, you need to take advantage of the talent that you have. And I think that talent leans towards a little bit more of an aggressive style. Um, but I still think that there's a better chance they end up as a better offense than a than defense. Like there's there's shot making on this roster. It's not particularly efficient shot making, but there are several players who can they can heat up and get a few buckets. So I guess maybe they could back their way into being like a decent offense. Um, where were you going? S- with that? Seventh, eighth, maybe. Yeah, something like that. All right, want to wrap up? Let's do it. Okay, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can, as always, do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric on Twitter at E or myself at Trinkwald. And we'll be back later this week with our final team outlook, the Indiana Fever. All right, looking forward to it. Uh, Take care, everybody.